This episode of Teeming with Microbes is brought to you by Number Two Organics, made in partnership with Malibu Compost, Bigfoot Microbes, and Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers. Fungi. It's fungi. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to be rich, Evan. We're going to be able to buy a place in Hawaii with all the, the, yeah. the jar entries. Well, now we have our cold open. So. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Teeming with Microbes podcast, our weekly deep dive into the rich and fertile world of the soil food web and organic gardening. We're breaking down all the science and handing out expert gardening advice while busting those long-held myths about how to help your garden grow. With the man who literally wrote the books on teeming with everything important in your soil, the Lord of the Roots himself, Jeff Lowenfels, and me, Jonathan White, the caffeinated gardener. From flowers to lawns to vegetables, heck, even your mind. Let's grow it all. Are you at the point yet where you can shake someone's hand this early in the season and they think you're a farmer? I, I'm almost there. You're almost there. I'm working on it, and my hands, they're sore like yours are from yeah. the weekend of gardening. What a great weekend. Yeah. Finally, hands in the dirt, a lot of work to do. Busy, a lot of stuff to do. Hands in the soil. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I need my own buzzer. You, you got do. the fungi, fungi buzzer. Yeah, yeah. I need to remember soil and dirt. I, I understand, and, and I need to remember fungi, fungi. Fungi. That's uh, right. You're getting better. I am because you've got a lot to learn. To spell Jeff. It. They're, they're spelling it with an H in it now. F U N G H I. Who's is, they? The proverbial they? The fungi police? The Associated Press book uses oh, yeah. that. Okay. And, and now it's appearing in various papers and things like that. Man, as a. You just gave me a wave of nostalgia. As a longtime reporter, I had the AP style book, right. Never More Than Arm's Length Away. Right, right. Now I don't right. have to use it as right. much. Occasionally I write for the AP. I. I have to make that confession. Look for Jeff in the Associated Press. Not, not, <clears throat> not every day. That's for sure. So busy weekend. Yes. I, I, all our you know gardeners and yardener listeners, we had a lot to do: planting, getting things ready. The one thing I didn't mess with this weekend is probably the largest organism in everybody's yard, the lawn. Right. And I didn't mess with mine because I listened to Jeff Lowenfels. I'm letting it get established. I, I might water it soon. It's been a little dry here in Anchorage, Alaska. You've written extensively over the years and trying to change people's perceptions. And you successfully changed mine about a decade ago about what the great American lawn means to most people. Good. Uh, because it really, it really, it, it is a vision that needs to be changed. Everybody grew up at my age with the idea of having a white picket fence and a beautiful green lawn without a dandelion or any, no crabgrass, nothing in it other than Kentucky bluegrass or whatever you happen to be using in your particular area of the world. And, and that was the vision, which is sort of, sort of an impossible vision to fully achieve without using chemicals. Well, look, I'm a sucker for it, too. I love when I watch national broadcast of baseball games and you see this just gorgeous oh, yeah. emerald green baseball field. With um, a beautiful pattern. And the patterns yeah. in them, right? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I'm a sucker for it, too. I, I, I grew up, you know, my, my father was a lawn zealot. He mm -hmm. was, you know, I've relaxed quite a bit. Now, my, I think my lawn is beautiful. I get a lot of compliments. I have a lot of grass in my yard. 
I really don't do much except put a lot of stuff, leave a lot of stuff on it. Right. And and water it sometimes. Right. Yeah. Lawns are lawns are one of those things that don't really require the work that we put into them. Uh, they were originally created so that there would be kind of a natural moat between the castle and the <laughs> and the woods, and they were full of flowers, and they were, you know, there was no such thing as a weed back then. Uh, along comes a guy who invents the lawnmower. It ha- he happened to be a, he was in the carpet business, and, and uh, the, the, it was kind of a machine that you used to clean carpets, and lo and behold, it worked on lawns. Anyway, uh, so we ended up with lawnmowers, and then we had uh, uh, all these munitions left over from World War II, et cetera, et cetera. And so people created the idea that we need to be fertilizing all the time and working hard, 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 blah, blah, blah. As you say, you spent the weekend First weekend gardening, you didn't even look at the biggest thing in New York. Well, I did. I walked around. I picked up some of the bigger branches. I looked at all the vole damage. This year in particular, a lot of vole damage. For you listeners around the world that you don't live where there's two to three to four to this year, 12 feet of snow in your yard, (laughs) uh, the voles like to get in there under the snowpack and they eat the roots of the grass Mm -hmm. and they, they... they build these elaborate tunnels, which can be pretty cool to see. Right. But then you wind up with all this dead grass and not a lot left where they've nested. So there's a lot in my yard, right. my neighbor's yard also. Right. Fortunately, it's just the tips of the grass. The root systems are usually still intact, uh, and the crowns are usually still still viable so that the stuff will grow back. It takes a little while. Uh, you might want to speed that up by throwing some grass seed down uh, and making sure that, that it remains wet for a couple of weeks so that it'll, it'll germinate. Uh, but it will come back. It will come back. And it certainly is an indication that there is life under the snow. And as you and I know, there's also life under the soil. And this time of the year, that life is becoming viable again. It's leaving dormancy. Uh, all the critters that are down there are beginning to move around and create poor spaces and soil structure and do all those great things. And more important, the blades of the grass are turning green. That green is creating the ability to produce those exudates, which drip out into the soil system. And so if you do nothing else but just let that happen, your lawn is going to be better. There's just so much to talk about. I don't even know where to start, really. Mm -hmm. But let's start with that. So the idea of what the great American lawn is or should be is changing because of people like you and maybe by default me. Whenever I talk to folks, they come and they ask me what they should do to make their lawn look like mine. I say, leave it alone. If you use these store-bought fertilizers, they encourage you to water which washes it all away, right. rinse and repeat. You got to keep putting it on it, blows out your soil food web. But with that comes weeds right. or things that people don't want in their lawn. Right. And if you can get to the point where you're okay with that, you'll live a much happier life because you can spend half your life pulling clover, dandelions, equisetum, you name it, that's growing in your lawn that you think shouldn't be there. That's right. And that's the big rub is that people have convinced you that those things shouldn't be there. Let's take the clover. Clover used to be an integral part of all lawns until the invention of the ability to be able to kill the clover along with 
dandelions. It happens to be a byproduct of killing the dandelions in the lawn that, it, that the clover gets killed with these broadleaf herbicides. And so all of a sudden, clover became bad uh, because someone could sell you something to kill it. Uh, that clover is producing nitrogen. It's a beautiful green plant. It stays green in, in, in times of drought when the lawn will turn brown. It produces a beautiful flower. There are different colors of clover. You can get a red clover, an annual clover. And, and so it, it really can be an integral part of the lawn and just be a beautiful part of the lawn if you just make that little adjustment back to, hey, this is how nature does it. And if, and if you've got clover spreading throughout your lawn, it just makes it so much easier to maintain because it doesn't really need to be mowed. I love it. I Gets love to that. a certain height and sort of stops. Exactly. Yeah. And now, the dandelions, you know, the dandelions, we talked about this before, you, the war is over and we lost. They're just <laughs> spreading lost. everywhere. Right. You have to apply the... They tell you to apply every year the herbicide, and the reason they tell you to do that is because you, you weren't able to get rid of them all, and you never will be able to get rid of them all. And your lawn will look, frankly, from my perspective, a sickly green when you use these weed and feed products because it doesn't produce that natural healthy green that you get with a lawn that's nourishing itself using the soil food web, and the way to get that this time of the year is simply water the lawn. Right. Don't put lime down, no weed and feed. If you want to do anything to a lawn this time of the year, aerate it. Get an aerator, run it over the lawn, leave the plugs that are pulled out. It looks like you had a whole herd of goose, geese running around uh, the yard and those will disintegrate and, and your lawn will be so much better for, for, the, for aeration because it, it aerates the lawn. It makes the fungi able to grow better. Fungi. Makes water able to absorb better. It's just a neat thing to do. Well, and compacted soil is not good anywhere. No. And if your lawn year after year after year has snowpack on it, snowpack on right. it, snowpack on it. You and I read an interesting article from a great writer. This one was in The Guardian about <laughs> what your lawn can be telling you, what your soil can be telling you yeah. by what kind of weeds right. you have on it. So. You know, one of the in the article, which, by the way, if you want to go to it, her name is Alice Fowler. But one of the things that she points out with dandelions is it could be that your soil is compact, low on surface nutrients, including calcium and potassium. Right. Yeah. So I, that's what she says. That's what she says. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with any of any of that. Uh, I've certainly seen dandelions growing in non-compacted soil. Like concrete. <laughs> they yeah. grow in cracks of con yeah. concrete. I mean, I've seen dandelions grow everywhere, and it, I don't think compaction has anything. What was the other thing she said? Potassium and, and calcium. Uh, calcium is is the big one you hear from everybody. I mean, I've ground up eggshells and put them on individual, you know, little squares where I've tested. I don't, I don't get – I've put down liquid calciums, which I didn't even think they had – doesn't make a bit of difference. Once that dandelion gets in there, it creates the situation that it needs in order to thrive. I've never seen a field where the dandelions arrive. This is what's supposed to happen, according to articles like that. So the dandelions arrive, they put in this deep tap root, which, which is good for soil structure, by right. the way, but it puts in this deep tap root. Uh, in theory, it's pulling up all the calcium out of the bottom of the soil. Why is the calcium down there? And not a, I don't know. And then it pulls it up into the leaves. The leaves die off, and eventually the calcium is replenished in the soil, and the dandelions move on to someplace else. Yeah, but uh, if you mow that it— That doesn't and, right. happen. It's crazy. 
So, so yeah, you got the right answer. You I, mow them. It always fascinates me. I mean, equisetum or yeah. horsetail yes. grows, you know, everywhere. Right. And Worldwide. Um, and it's been around since, you know, <laughs> dinosaurs, right? Yeah. Um, and dandelions, too, are somewhat prehistoric. And when you watch how they grow, it's fascinating. You're right. This long taproot. And they, they get huge. They can get massive, right? Yeah. I pulled one out of the vegetable garden the other day. I couldn't believe the number of branches that it had. And, of course, if you're pulling that out of the lawn, some of those branches are, are going to remain in there, and, and they're going to grow back. My, my favorite PR when I first started writing garden columns was a, a series of pictures, big, big pictures they sent, glossy black and whites of a dandelion, a stick of dynamite in the dandelion. <laughs> they blew it up. There was a crater there. And then six weeks later, the back. dandelion growing back. I mean, that's what happens. Yeah. And so they're very hard to get rid of. You can use the chemicals. Uh, you are you are putting your life in jeopardy as far as I'm concerned. I put quotes around that. Uh, it's not something you should be doing, and it's not part of the soil food web system, period. But, but if you've got pets or you like to walk on your grass, yeah. which, well, that's the point, right? You right. want to enjoy the lawn. I don't know why anybody would napalm their, their lawn with all this stuff just to get rid of a couple of unwanted dandelions that are going to be back next year and well, going to be covered in snow for the rest of the and, year. But, and particularly when you can mow it over. Or they make tools. Yeah, Fiskar can, makes a tool that you can spend oh, some yeah. time on a nice sunny day just popping them out. I love doing it, yeah. but they come back. They I mean, and back. they're gone for a little while. But here's the deal. when you, If you have a sharp mower, you mow the lawn, you're not going to know from a distance anyway that there are any dandelions in there. Because they're green, just like the lawn is. The dandelions are very uh, evolutionary. So you, you may start out with a dandelion that blows on your property, and it's got big, tall flowers and big, gigantic leaves. After you've mowed that dandelion and it's gone to seed 15 different times, it's evolved into a, into a low-growing dandelion that the mower won't even touch. You know, you got to get into these things. You got to study the dandelions and appreciate them for what they do. All right. A lot of listeners might be thinking, okay, I don't want to use chemicals anymore. I don't want to use fertilizers. How do I restart the soil food web in my lawn? Because it's huge, right? It's not like a four by four by eight garden bed. You can throw compost on it and bio live and, and some other things. So if you've got, you know, half acre or like I do or a big lawn in your yard, how are we going to get that thing? How are we going to get the soil food web started if now it's just got all kinds of, you know, nitrogen and these synthetic fertilizers that are under the blades of grass? Yeah, well, if you just let those blades of grass decay and mow them and not collect them, you're going to be providing some great microbe food for the soil food web that does exist in your soil. And and the plant, as you know, is, is working like crazy to create its own suitable environment. So grass, for example, associates with uh, the mycorrhizal fungi, fungi that happen to pull carbon out of the air and put it into the soil. Uh, so it feeds itself in, in many ways. The grass plants work hard to create the microbial situation where everything, where the plant is fit. Let's put it that way. And, and it takes care of itself. You, you, you and I get in the way of it. Leaves in the fall, right. branches in the fall, mow it. 
leave it. Branches don't, now, all of that little now. twiggy don't stuff. Don't bag up your leaves right now as you just leave exactly. everything on it. And it is so, somewhat magical. It may not look great when you first do it, right. but within a week, it all goes back in. And But now that leads to this question that I get all the time about thatching. Right. People will look and say, oh, I need to thatch my lawn. Again, a great marketing tool from oh, over the years. Incredible. But aerating is important. Why is you, you've written before? Thatching's not something we really need to concern ourselves with. Well, certainly not at the beginning of the season. People associate brown dead grass with thatch, and the definition of thatch is an accumulation of the stems, not the blades, but the stems of grass in between the plants, and it builds up to a point where water has trouble getting in, air has trouble getting in, uh, and, and the leaves and everything that you break up have trouble. So you get this thick layer that you want to remove so that you can expose the soil again and, and get things working. This time of year, everything looks brown. So if you're thatching, you're just pulling off the dead blades from, from last winter. So leave it. Wait until the blades of the lawn green up and then make a determination whether you actually need to do all the work that it takes to pull that thatch off because it's not just a 20-minute job in no. most lawns. You have to use a special rake. You have to pull the stuff up. And it's just a lot, a lot of work. If you don't have to do it, don't. Great. So lots of great advice. We're, we're going to continue to get questions over the year on the lawn. So if you have questions... We can't cover them all today. Send them to teaminghwithmicrobes at me.com. Give us your name, where you live, and we'll continue to talk about lawns throughout the summer. Right. We do have a question, though, that's a good one about pets. If you have pets, so Emily from Anchorage, long winter, snow, she's got dogs. The dogs are doing what they do on the lawn, and it's gotten pretty beat up. Right. Uh, I know one of the answers is get rid of the waste bag it up, get it out of there. It's not pretty work, but it has to be done. And it really should be done while things are still frozen. frozen. Exactly. Much easier. Yes. We talked a little bit about how do you get that microbiome down there? How do you get the, the soil food web restarted? Compost is probably the best, but spreading compost over a huge yard, it's a lot of work. It can be expensive. So water it, and leave it alone. Let everything that's in, in the lawn stay there, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I would certainly, you got to pick up the big stuff. Honestly. Right. Except for the dog waste. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, water, of course, is going to activate the plant so that the plant can Im improve and repair things by itself. You can use compost extract if you're not using compost itself. You, you put down a little teeny bit of compost, just a little bit, and it'll do a lot of things for that kind of a situation. For example, it'll remove some of the odor if there's odor. Not much else will do that, frankly, but the organics in that compost tie up that odor. So using compost is the best thing. A compost extract, again, you just simply take some compost, throw it in a cheesecloth. And the more I think about it, everybody who gardens needs to have some cheesecloth around so that they can make this compost extract. And you just wrap up some compost and squeeze it in water for a while, and, and you can put it, put it down on the lawn. You can do uh, any number of 
similar kinds of extracts or teas, like a nettle tea. A lot of people use uh, uh, stinging nettle tea. Uh, you can use those equisetums that you mentioned in a tea. And, and there are different ways to make these. Your ubiquitous five-gallon bucket, uh, you fill it up halfway with water. I like to use warm water. Uh, you put in the leaves or the plant material that you want to make the concoction out of. So if it's nettles, you put them in. Uh, you, you, you maybe you have to put something on top of it so that you keep the stuff down in the water. And you can let that sit there for couple of three, four, five days, it might bubble, it might begin to smell a little bit, uh, but you can dilute it with water and put it back down again, and it should be adding the nutrients that were in the plants back out onto the lawn. So that's that's a great thing to do uh, when you have a pet problem. Then, of course, you've got those urine spots, which is probably not really part of the complaint this time of year, but, but they're coming. You know, people always ask, well, what do I do? How do I prevent that dog from creating these yellow spots? And there really isn't a lot you can do other than making sure that the dog has good water, is hydrated. Uh, and when you see the dog peeing on the lawn, water it. Simple as that. You can use gypsum, old, you know, fiberboard and grind it up and put it down. That'll that'll neutralize it a little bit. But basically keep a little bit of compost or make some compost extract and just go at it every now and then. All right. We're going to make a list of lawn questions because there's things we're not going to cover today that will come up like the use of lime right. and moss. Right. And yeah, so lots of lawn questions. Send them to us at teamingwithmicrobes at me.com. Lot to uh, cover this episode still. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hey there, gardeners. Do you really know what's in the compost and soils that you buy? You don't have to second guess with number two organics. Farm-made compost that's 100% finished, topsoil with up to 17% organic matter, and a fantastic premium organic potting soil that has one-third of our compost in it. You can trust number two because it's made in partnership with Malibu Compost. Ask your local retailer to contact us at number2organics.com. There's a new garden store here I wanted to check out today. Right on. Where is it at? Yeah, it's just right around the corner. Oh. oh my. Whoa, those leaves, that soil, those fruits. This is the most beautiful plant I've ever seen. Yeah, she must use Bigfoot microbes. You can find Bigfoot Microbes at Daisy Supply in their Oregon locations, Medford, Canyonville, and their California locations in their Cata, Willow Creek, Redway, and Garberville. And as always on Amazon. One of the reasons my hands hurt is because I used a, a spade and a you know, shovel and a mm -hmm. pitchfork a lot. I turned my giant compost pile. Wait, did you use a spade or a shovel? Um, both. I have both. Really? I know the difference. Okay. I, I used both and a big pitchfork, which is the right kind of pitchfork. Yeah. Four time. Oh, very nice. I used nice. to have chickens, you know, until a brown bear ended that experiment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And so I have sort of the last giant pile from, from the chickens. Sure. And, you know, owning a coffee company, Steam.Coffee Coffee, coffee right. Company, by the way, a little shameless plug there. Ooh, we're drinking uh, it right now, and it's so I have so access good. to a lot of coffee grounds. Right. We make cold brew, and we when we make a big, you know, big vat of cold brew, we have hundreds and hundreds of pounds of coffee grounds, and they're wet. So it's perfect compost fodder right. for me uh, all throughout the summer as, believe it or not, 
a green addition to my compost pile, right. not brown. Right. I think at last last time we talked about compost, I may have suggested that it is brown, but it is most definitely green. And I think what people need to understand is that you're trying to reach a ratio of 30 to 1. Nit- 30 to 1, yeah. 30 brown, 1 green. Right. Carbon yeah. to nitrogen. Carbon to nitrogen. And people always want to know, how do I know it's 30 to one. I mean, my God, I, I, the stuff I put in my compost, I'm walking around my yard, I'm picking up twigs. What are they? I mean, and it's so easy, again, using the gardener's best tool, Google. The Google. Uh, you definitely can find wonderful calculators where you can look up any material you've got. Horse manure. I looked up elephant manure the other day. Elephant manure manure is thirty six to one. If you, now we know what Jeff does in his spare time. <laughs> if you uh, happen to, well, you never know. Do you an own an may, elephant anymore? Well, I, I know they may come by, and I saw I've got moose turds down there. I got all sorts of bear. Uh, so an elephant thirty six to one. But in any case, you can look up, and there's calculators where you can put in. I've got I've got five pounds of elephant. And two pounds of newspaper, you know, how, how, what's the mixture that makes 30 to 1? And bingo, it does it for you. So if you've got a lot of coffee grinds and they happen to be green material, how much brown material uh, twigs are you going to need? How much manure are you going to need? But it's also interesting. It's not 30 to 1 in weight, right? It's 30 to 1 in the in the number that we're talking about. Right. When people hear 30 to 1, they might think one cup of coffee grounds to 30 cups of leaves. Right. The ratio is is that you're looking for is based on carbon whatever you're nitrogen. using. Correct. Right. And and those are listed as well. So for example, a straw is 40 to 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 100 to 1. Autumn leaves they're 30 to 1. Oh, perfect. That's why people use them all the time. Mixed paper is 150 to 200 to 1. So you need to look all of those things up and then you put it into the calculator and it'll tell you how much you need. And a lot of folks will come to me and say, I tried a compost pile, but it stunk and I didn't want, that That means you have too much green. The, yeah. the too much green usually leads to bad odors. A couple of years ago, I had a compost pile that I, I had too much green in it. It stunk pretty badly. I uncovered it. And by the time I came back from the shed with the pitchfork, there were two black bears in the yard. I they smelled say. it. And come running because it smelled like dinner to them. Yeah, well, if you don't have chickens, but you have a good compost pile, they'll be at that compost pile. But that's okay because they're not going to really do too much damage. And the compost pile has to be the right size. And I think a lot of people, they don't realize this. It's supposed to be three feet by three feet by three feet. And if you can make it bigger, so much the better. A lot of those little composters that you buy, they're teeny. And if you don't turn them all the time and add stuff to them all the time, you're not going to get compost. So the size is important. You don't have to worry about where you put the pile. It's not the sun. It's that bacterial activity that creates the heat that does all this. And it has to get up to 131 degrees every part of it for several days so that you are making sure that you're not putting bad stuff down on your soil, that you're actually, you know, which E. coli and listeria and things like that, that you're also 
making compost, not not just breaking down a little bit of plant material and letting Plus it Plus, you want to get it to a certain temperature to, to cook out any seeds that might be in it, any, That's a any great undesirable point. seeds. A great point, because you can certainly put seeds down into your compost. Anything can go into your compost pile. Uh, you just have to make sure it's hot enough, that you turn it enough, and that you expose all parts of the pile to that heat. And if you're going to make compost in your yard, you need a lot of material— a lot of time and patience because it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And that pile that you started last year might not be ready. Right. There, there is a, a time where you just want to leave it alone right. and just cover it and just let it sit for a while to, I'm using air quotes, mature. Right. You can't really damage anything, but you're not going to get a lot of a, a, as much of a benefit out of the compost if you use it too early or or maybe even if you wait too late if it if it decomposes too much yeah. but you really should have three piles i think going cuz as you're adding to a pile and you're getting it warm it's going to go through that time of being really hot you've got kind of the middle time right now mm-hmm. my my compost piles were really hot in the fall mm-hmm. they're cold now they're not going to get back to 160 not degrees not unless you put some green right which you yeah. you can yeah, but i want those scraps to and, yeah. sit around for a couple coffee. more weeks coffee and yeah. i'll use them at the end of the year Right. Um, so this weekend, we all got out there. We put compost on our garden beds. We started. It's time in Anchorage. If you live is. somewhere else, again, apologies. <laughs> we're, we're, we're giddy because we had a sunny weekend and we got out there. Not quite time. The no. traditional period here in Anchorage is around Memorial Day or the right. end of the coming month. Coming up, coming up. Right. So we're cleaning up now and we're doing all sorts of great stuff. But if you've been hardening off and you've got seeds in the ground, what, other than the peas and beans we've talked about, what are some other seeds that are really important to start now? Well, I like to start my potatoes now, not necessarily, I don't grow them from seed, but I, I create what we call chits, C H I T S. You, you cut the potato, so that there's a couple of pieces of eye uh, on each little chit. And I plant those this time of the year. And I, I like to do those in a container. Uh, I put down some soil, uh, and then I put the, the chits in there, and then I cover them up a little bit. Incidentally, I heard from my great friend, Marian Owen in Kodiak. She, she writes a garden column over there. She just puts her chits in. She fills the whole container up with leaves and just forgets about it for the entire season. Uh, And sure enough, she gets a heck of a a potato crop. So that's great. Lettuces this time of the year, very cool. They're able to grow at cool temperatures. Spinach, another thing that you want to start early, particularly since it begins to bolt when the days get really long and the temperatures get, get hot. Those are really the key things. I, I'm, I'm very careful. Uh, maybe beans getting getting to the temperature, where, where, but I keep an eye on what's going on, and I try to take the temperature of the soil with a soil thermometer. And if you've got good warm soil and you're going to start with some seeds, you can help them germinate by maybe soaking them or right. putting and, in the paper towels, give them a little of, bit of a head start. And, of course, rolling them in, my, in, your, in your mycorrhizal fungi from Bigfoot. Mycorrhizal fungi. Old habits die hard. Yeah. With that. Particularly for a product I endorse, I actually just wash my mouth out. (laughs) We'll take a quick break and let Jeff clean up his mouth and uh, put some money in the fungi jar. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
If you listen to this podcast, you know that Jeff and I like to call fertilizers microbe food. Well, our friends at Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers have some of the best meal plans you can find for all those little critters in the soil food web, including one of our favorites called BioLive. You can find Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers nationwide in independent garden centers. Just look for that telltale brown compostable box. So, Jeff, if you've got things growing in your greenhouse, if you've got anything that's leafing out right now, you wrote last week about pinching, about controlling the plant by pinching off parts of it. Yeah, pinching is something that gardeners do. It literally is pinching. You use your thumb and your forefinger, and you take the tip of certain plants off the plant. And when you do that, you you change the production of hormones inside the plant, and that causes some neat things to happen. Like what? Well, the first thing that happens is that the the auxin, which is one of those phytohormones that's being being used by the plant to prevent side branches, uh, what happens is a tip is growing. It's called the apical, A-P-I-C-A-L, apical tip, and it's the source of growth. And so that's where all the cells are dividing, growing, getting bigger, etc. And it's producing auxin in that area. The auxin moves down the stem and prevents side branches from doing the same thing. So you only get one leader. Now, you come along as a gardener and you pinch that tip off. And all of a sudden, the auxin that's being produced by that tip is not being produced anymore. At that point in time, what's coming up the stem, uh, we talked about before because we, we talked about kelp, these cyto, cytokinins, cytokinins, yeah, I think I pronounced that right. Uh, they come up and the auxin keeps them from, from coming up when it's being produced. But since you've taken that tip off, it continues to come up and lo and behold, the side branches branch. And so you end up getting branching on the sides of the plant where there was one branch at the tip. There are now two branches. So this is how you make things fuller, how you get more flowers, more tomatoes, uh, and, and in theory, bushier plants. Not just the top, right? Right. The, the suckers, so to speak, that come out of these. You can, you can anything that's growing as a tip, you can pinch and it'll, it'll cause. But, but you don't really want to pinch the side branches until you've pinched that top one first. Yeah, as a practical tip, when you've got indeterminate tomatoes. Right. That are going to grow indeterminately. You better you better explain. Yeah, there's yeah. two kinds of two tomatoes. Kinds. One grows determinately. It's sort of you think of a cherry tree. It, you know, it's just got that shape, and it's that's it. It doesn't. And the other is indeterminate. They vine on forever. Forever, correct. You can stop them whenever you want. If you want your tomato plant to be four feet tall or or eight feet tall, but as a practical tip, this is where this pinching comes in can come in, right, if you top it, right. so to speak, or pinch it right. so that it stops growing vertically and puts some energy into growing out and fr and fruiting. Exactly. Or, or take your annuals. So you, you have a Cosmo. If you, if, you, if you take the tip off, all of a sudden, instead of just getting one flower, you're going to get flowers coming out of the side of the plant. So all of your annual flowers can be pinched if you do it at the right time. And so you've got to determine as the gardener, When's the right time to do it? Once it gets 
more than five, six, seven sets of leaves, you got to really think about whether you should let it continue on or whether you want to pinch it. Certain plants have built in this auxin production. So, for example, you take a hanging fuchsia. I say fuchsia. I know you, most people say fuchsia, but the right way to say it is fuchsia. Careful. Yeah. So it's a family you, show. I understand, uh, but it's a family name, Fuchs. Uh, so, so uh, it was named after a guy named Fuchs. He couldn't help it. Uh, uh, it was a German. Name. Here we go. I got to just get it in. <laughs> it was a German name, and the French loved the plant, named it, but didn't realize it wasn't fuchsia. It was fuchsia. So, so anyway, the hanging ones, uh, they've, got that, that they've got less oxen than the upright ones. Interesting. And, and so you, you get different reactions when you pinch Fuchsias, for example. Man, I, I, one, my favorite flower, all mm-hmm. time, hands down, is lava terra, which is some really? re- related to mallows, right? Mm-hmm. Mallow, yeah. And they really respond to this technique. Yes. If you don't, they'll just grow skinny and tall forever. But if you start to pinch them off at about three feet, it ends up looking like a an Alaskan hibiscus. Right, just and, gorgeous. And you don't have to stake it quite the same way. It, it's it's stronger for the wind. Uh, you also begin to get some of that systemic resistance we keep talking about when you do these kinds of things to plants. Plants react to anything you do. They produce those phytohormones, and those phytohormones cause great things to happen to plants. Okay, I want to go back a little bit. Sure. You talked a little bit about nettle tea, and that's perfect. We had a question this week from a place where I grew up, the United Kingdom. Um, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, lived in London for quite a few years when I was a kid. Wow. Uh, Jeff Woodcock. No wonder he knows how to say the word <laughs> fungi. It's fungi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We're going to be rich, Evan. We're going to be able to buy a place in Hawaii with all the, the, yeah. the jar entries. Well, now we have our cold open. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeff Woodcock writes about nettle tea, and he's wondering... Does, uh, uh, since you had your little transgression there, I will too. I make comfrey tea. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what comfrey is, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal plant. Mm-hmm. Very versatile. Grows um, very fast. It grows fast. And it can be it can spread if you don't control it. Mm-hmm. It produces maybe the most foul-smelling tea. The most foul-smelling thing I've ever smelled <laughs> is this comfrey tea. I, I put it in a bucket. With some warm water, I cover it with another bucket, and I let it sit for about five, six days in the summer in the shade. And when I come back, it smells like what I would imagine battlefield death smells like. That's how bad it is. But then I'll put it in bottles. I'll I'll, I'll dilute it quite a bit, and it's magical for soil. But same with nettle tea. What is it really doing for the microbes? Is it really feeding... Is it food for the microbes or is it doing other things? It's definitely food for the microbes. They take any of the plant material that's still left in that tea and they eat it right up. And there's all manner of microscopic little goodies that are in there that you you can't see that those microbes love. Yeah. And that's what Jeff wanted to know is his friends and people that he knows that are sort of getting into this style of gardening are are using 
nettle tea right. uh, the way I use comfrey tea right. for different reasons. There's lots of reasons to do this. You can put it in the Google machine. We won't get it into it today, but it's like willow water we talked about. Sure. If you people use straw, rice water. People use their leftover spaghetti water, you know, their yeah. potato water. All of that has nutrients in it that the microbes in the soil food web like. So there you go, Jeff. Even though it smells bad, put your nettles to use in nettle tea. And no matter where you are on the globe listening to us, whether it's England or Kenya or Texas or Anchorage, Alaska, you can write us a question at teamingwithmicrobes at me.com. Be sure to tell us who you are, where you're from, and just for the heck of it, throw in what you like to grow, and we'll try to answer your questions. Okay, next week's a big week, the kind of traditional time to get full-on, full-bore gardening in Anchorage, Alaska. So we'll have a lot more next week on Teeming with Microbes. Yeah, can't wait. Hey, thanks for listening to this edition of Teeming with Microbes. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing this gardening season. Jeff and I wrote this episode with additional production and editing by Evan Phillips of Podpeak. You can find him at podpeak.com. Our music is also by Evan Phillips. Thanks, as always, to the Anchorage Daily News for hosting our show. And don't forget to catch Jeff's weekly gardening column in each Friday's edition. We'll be back next week with another edition of Teeming with Microbes. Until then, get out there, get your hands dirty, and get growing. As always, thanks for listening to me and Jeff on this podcast. We're brought to you by Number Two Organics, made in partnership with Malibu Compost, Bigfoot Microbes, and down-to-earth all-natural fertilizers.